Philippians 4, 1 Corinthians 9, and Malachi 3. I don't know if you've ever had a, a time where someone in your life uh, either had a new baby or someone was, was sick or had some health problems and needed some help or came upon some financial struggles or maybe a family had a death in their family. And there's, there's things that we can do as individuals, but there are certain moments where there's, there's a need that's too big for us. And it's at those times that if we're going to achieve meeting the need, we, we pull our resources together and we help each other. And some of you have been a part of scenarios where uh, there's a rotation of people that bring meals to the household that's, that's struggling and needs some support, or maybe people put together money and I couldn't help meet the need by myself, but when we worked together as a family, we took care of that. Some of you have taken care of aging parents and you had siblings that weren't responsible and then so much of that fell on you and it, it, didn't, uh, it wasn't enjoyable and you didn't feel fulfillment because you were just stressed. But when the family works together, there's a, there's a fulfillment of, I didn't tax myself out but at the same time, we achieved something that was bigger than me because I wasn't able to take care of that on my own. But when I worked with a group of people, we accomplished something bigger than me. And I don't know if we realize this, but there's a multiplication effect that when three people come together and start working towards a goal, it's not like just one person times three. It actually gets bigger and stronger than that when we're leveraging our resources together. And... We see that referenced even in our, in our culture today. Sometimes you might have seen movies or TV shows where characters will say, I just want to be part of something bigger than myself. Or a character pleads with someone else and says, don't you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Because our resources only go so far, don't they? We only have so much money. We only have so much time. We only have so many capabilities. And so if we're going to achieve something that's, that's big, we have to learn to do teamwork and partner with each other to leverage our resources collectively to achieve something that God wants us to achieve. And that's true in many different ways, and it's especially true as the church. If we are going to achieve being or becoming a thriving, flourishing church and a church that impacts the community, then that's going to take all of us working together to pull our resources together. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to be a part of something bigger than myself. Because I want to know that I can stand before God and say, I, I put my talents into this with everybody else and something great took place. But how do we do that? Well, the way that we achieve something bigger than ourselves is by embracing certain concepts or certain ideas. Now, one of those ideas is that we have to understand the building process. How is it that we build a healthy, thriving church? And I don't know if you know that we're builders, uh, Jesus is the master builder, right? But we see that Peter describes how we're all little stones. The apostles and prophets were the foundation, and we're all a part of this building, this structure that's not actually a literal physical building, but it is the house of God in that it is the people. And we can be a part of building that if we understand how that happens. And I think sometimes, and today's going to be a little different message, because I'm actually just going to talk with you today about... Uh, where, we, where we need to be and what we have need of. And I will reference the ideas in Scripture, but I want to encourage you to, to read them. The references are there uh, linked to the various ideas. 
to read them at home. You could read them right now and check and see, is he actually telling the truth? Let me check that out. You can do that if you want. Uh, and if you, you think I got it wrong, then come see me, and I'll make sure to set you straight uh, once we're done with that conversation. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to mostly just talk with you this morning about how we're, how we're going to build this thriving, flourishing church. And part of the way that we're going to be able to build this is we have to understand, now, I don't know if you know this in your own life, but, but life kind of ebbs and flows. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes life gets better, and we can see it's getting better, maybe slowly, but it's, it's, we can see that there's progress and it's getting better. Sometimes we really start getting going and everything's going great and wonderful and everything's the way it should be. And sometimes life is lousy. Now that sometimes everything's falling apart. It's like every wheel's falling off the axis and just we can't get going anywhere and everybody's against us. And, and sometimes, I know that we tend to think that once it's good, it's just always going to be good, right? Because we're shocked when it gets bad again. And once it's bad, we just think life's just going to be horrible for the rest of our lives and we're shocked when it gets good again. But we know that life is like that, right? It gets going and, and things are improving and then we have a setback and things fall apart and we have to kind of recalibrate and figure out what's going on and make adjustments and then at some point it gets going again and we know that individually I don't know if we know that as a church that that same concept works with a collective group of people that sometimes things get going and there's energy and there's improvement and things are happening and then sometimes there's setbacks and as a church we have to recalibrate and figure some things out and then it gets better again and then it gets worse again. And, and sometimes, when do we usually want to bail on life? Huh? When things are getting bad, right? We do that as individuals. That's when we quit our job because it's not going so great. great. That's when people choose to get a divorce because it's not going great. Uh, that's when people run and hide from their kids in some corner of the house when it's not going that great. And people do that as a church. When the church is struggling, people run, right? Because we don't like the negative things. But the problem is we can't build the structure if no one will, will stick it out and push through the challenges. And I think that we know that individually, right? If you've had physical health issues or financial issues, you didn't just let yourself fall apart. You pushed through it and you figured it out. And the same is true with the church, but it's going to involve us having a little bit of patience with one another, maybe a lot of patience with me, and, and to have some understanding. But in order for us to get there, part of what's going to need to take place for this to be built is, is service, is doing things. And how do I want to, I've been really praying through this this morning. Here's a lot, of, there's a, I don't know if we realize that, that if we just do Sunday morning service every week for the next 10 years, that's good. We should do that. But I don't know if you've noticed that the people aren't just flocking in here because we're having church every week. Okay, so doing the, the, the work of the kingdom is going to need to involve more than just having a Sunday morning service. I think we, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that because we should be able to see that, right? But also, Jesus, I mean, in the Great Commission, when Jesus got ready to ascend into heaven, he got, called his disciples together and he said, here's what I want you to do. Okay, find a building somewhere and get yourself in there and have a service every week, right? He said, go out there and have Sunday services every week. 
Is that not what he said? No, he said what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And so the mission is to go out there. Now, we do this because there's various reasons for that, but we have to do more than Sunday morning. And some of those things we're doing and some of those things we're not doing. And let me just walk with you some of the things that should be happening. And some I do, some of us do collectively, but preaching should be happening. We're a declaration of the Word and teaching of what the Word of God says about life and the Lord and how we are to live for Him and how we're to live our lives. There's a development of of theology and and understanding things more deeply. There's spiritual development and discipleship that should be taking place. Uh, There's administrative responsibilities. I don't know if you know this, but if something happens with the plumbing at this church, some human being actually has to do something about that. Do you know that? It doesn't you know, I know we're a church, but we don't just go and pray over the pipes and something miraculous happens. I mean, that would be wonderful, and we believe in a God of miracles, but often, for some reason, he, needs a human, he wants a human being to step up and, and do something. And so there's administrative things. There's overseeing ministries. I don't know if you know this, but people don't just do things on their own. Do you know that? I mean, those of you who have kids, did your kids, when they were eight years old, did they just go, I think I'm going to clean the house up today and do the dishes? No? They require someone to tell them, hey, you need to clean up and do the dishes. And, and, and we remain like that when we become adults. I don't know if you know that. We wait around and we decide we're not going to do anything until someone shows up and says, hey, can you do that? And so that means we need people who are in those places where they're saying, hey, I think you need to do this. And recruiting people and trying to get people involved and giving people instructions. And, and, and sometimes that's not really against the recipient more than it's just sometimes we don't know what it is we're supposed to be doing. And so we need someone to come along and coordinate ministry or multiple people to coordinate uh, ministry. Uh, there is providing care. There, there's, we have at least 40 people, but we average about 50 to 60 people on average, uh, maybe 60 to 70, depending on the Sunday uh, people. And those people we should be providing care for and, and loving on them and connecting with them and serving them. And, and that takes uh, time and, and uh, time resources to do that. Uh, there's also, uh, sometimes people die. Did you know people die sometimes? Not all the time, but just sometimes people die. And then there's a memorial service, and there's things that happen after that. Sometimes people get married, and, and, and that has to be taken care of, and uh, there's things that happen. And these, a lot of these are more in-house things versus there's also this neighborhood that's around us that we need to go out there and we need to start building relationships and start doing events and outreaches and, and doing things within our community to make a difference. And and again, some of those things we're doing and some of those things we're not doing. And I don't know, like, so I have four children. And one of the things I've learned is when you're single, it doesn't cost so much to go out to eat. You know, you go to a restaurant and you're just buying for you, right? Or if you want to go hang out with some friends, you want to go putt-putt golfing or bowling or, or you want to go out to the movies. It doesn't cost so much when it's just you. And, and sometimes when you're single, you don't think about how things multiply, Right? And when you're married friends with children, you say, hey, you want to come hang out? You bring your kids and stuff along, and we think it's just 10 bucks, you know. It's not that much. And then, but what happens is, is when you're a family of six, everything costs six times as much everywhere you go. I mean, when you go to the grocery store, it costs six times as much, right? And then you look at your water bill, and you're, why, why is this six times as much? Because there's six times the showers that are happening in that house, uh, sometimes more than that. And so things get multiplied. And the same is true when it comes to time, okay? Now, I, I want to say this carefully, 
Because okay? I don't want people to... My goal is understanding and patience. My goal isn't for you to not want me to do certain things. But if I make a 15-minute phone call to somebody, okay, that's only 15 minutes, right? And some of you think, I don't know why he doesn't call me. It only takes 15 minutes to give me a phone call, okay? But if you multiply that times 40 people, how much time is that? Okay, so if 40 people, I'm not saying that everybody's expecting that, but I'm just saying if 40 people are expecting a phone call, 15 minutes, that's more, a lot more than 15 minutes. Or if I'm going to make a hospital visit, which I'm glad to do, but if I go to make a hospital visit, I think that, that the only thing people think happens was that 15 minutes that I was in that hospital room. Not realizing that sometimes people are in a hospital that are about 30 minutes away from where I am, and so it takes an hour round trip to go to the hospital and back. And if you've ever gone to visit someone in the hospital, did you know that you actually need a GPS to get from your car to the hospital room? Because there's a lot of commuting. I mean, you just don't just get out of your car and go to the hospital room. It takes a long time to get there for some reason. And so sometimes it's another 15, maybe 30 minutes just the round trip to be able to get up to the room and back down. And, and so that's an hour and a half plus the 15. Sometimes it takes me about two hours to do a hospital visit, and that person's only seen 15, 30 minutes of that time. And again, I'm not saying don't call me to visit you in the hospital. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if there's five people in the hospital that need me to see them in one week, that's potentially 10 hours right there. And so I'm saying that to say be understanding when you are expecting certain things and not getting what you expect. Be understanding that there's only so much time. Like I, I know that, uh, what was it, Joshua that made the sun stand still? I'm not him, okay? I'm just not. Like uh, you have 24 hours in a day, I have 24 hours in a day, right? You have seven days a week, I have seven days a week. My time isn't magically multiplied. And so what happens is the more time I have to spend in a week on visitations and phone calls and, and on a funeral or weddings or administrative things or service things or ministry oversight, the less time I have to do other things like working on problem solving and developing the vision of the church and figuring out how do we can build relationships within the community and, and, and resolving those things and figuring out how to provide uh, deeper, uh, deeper communication in the teachings of the church Sunday, Wednesday, and those kind of things. I can only put in so much time. I don't know if you know this, but if I preach on a Sunday morning for 45 minutes, it didn't take me just 45 minutes to get that ready. Okay? I know it seems like I just talk well and I just come up here and wing it, uh, but that's not what happens. And you could tell by the notes, first of all, it takes time. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that to say that, that you shouldn't expect anything from me. What I'm actually saying is if we're going to achieve the things that God wants us to achieve, it has to be all of us collectively contributing to make that happen. And we can go just by the stuff I'm able to do, but an individual can only carry things so far, right? And that doesn't mean that all of you have to do a full-time uh, worth of, week, of work during a week. But I don't know if you know this. I ask you to volunteer and get involved in things. Did you know I volunteer also? I, I do my working hours, and then I also contribute volunteer time to the church. Because that's actually how all of us should do. We have a job, we have to work that job to earn an income, and then we voluntarily contribute to the church. And the more each of us do that, the further along this church will, will get. And so when, when you find yourself frustrated with wanting to see more things happen and see more things take place, 
just think about, hmm, maybe I can contribute to that. Okay? And I know many people do, uh, but we need more people to jump into that. And this church will become more thriving, more flourishing, and more impactful to the community if more people share that load. Amen? Okay. And again, just like our personal lives, the more people contribute, the more that stuff starts to happen and we can celebrate and we, we get to be the beneficiaries of being a part of a church that's experiencing that. And sometimes that gets going and then sometimes people pull out and they decide, well, I can't do that anymore. I can't do anything anymore. And they stop doing things. And sometimes it's okay choice and sometimes it's not really an okay choice, but people do it anyway. And when that happens, just know that when, when a ministry stops, sometimes it's because it wasn't essential enough for me to do it because I had other things that I need that were more important. And I wanted to reference Ephesians 4 tells you what my job description is. Do you know that? Ephesians 4 says the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So my primary job is to, to be a developer, to help develop you guys. And sometimes the energy is focused on a, on a few people to help them know how to equip others and for them to develop more. And there's a, a chain reaction to that. But my job is that, as well as Acts 6. If you've ever read Acts 6, uh, they had a meeting because the, the, the apostles ended up becoming waiters. I don't know if you know that. Okay? They, they started taking care of a lot of things, and, and they were realizing that they weren't actually being able to spend as much time as they should on study of Scripture and, and getting some depth that they can use to teach and lead and guide the church that they were leading. And so the primary focus for me should be uh, that developmental stuff. But it's not beneath me. You might find me sweeping things at times or cleaning things up or replacing a light bulb. Or uh, you may come here on a Friday. If you ever come here on a Friday afternoon, you might see me adjusting these chairs because I don't know what happens, but some people, when they leave, they take whole rows with them. I'm not sure that happens. So I just get them put back and stuff. Uh, and, and those are not beneath me. It's just if I spend my time doing those things, then that's less time to do things that maybe I should spend more of my time on. And so what I'm asking is, be patient, be understanding, and contribute. Okay? Also, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, uh, he tells Timothy, he gives him some instructions, because Timothy is an elder, a pastor of a, of a congregation, and he tells him to let no one despise you because of your youth. And he says to do that, he wants, he wants him to to live a certain way in front of the people and be an example and devote himself to the study of Scripture and those kind of things. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this, for those of you that have been here since I've been here, uh, we've been doing this for about seven years, you know. Uh, just in a few months, I've been here seven years. So we've been dealing with each other for, you've been dealing with me for seven years, right? And we've had some highs and we've, we've had some lows. But what I don't know if you understand, and I do, I, I hope that those of you who know me, I, I put myself uh, headfirst into all of this. Uh, that's what I think about constantly, is, is the development of this church. And, and that's what I work towards. And, and sometimes I do it fine, and sometimes I don't do it so fine. And, and when I came here, I was 38 years old. Okay? Now I know that that might be old to a few of you, but that's probably really young to most of you. I was 38 years old, and I actually realized something when we were getting ready for the anniversary. Because, you know, Pastor John Holt, he was around that age when he came and started pastoring Bethel. But the, the thing is, is when Pastor Holt came to Pastor Bethel, I don't know if you know this, he actually pastored another church prior to coming here. At least one, if not two, uh, churches. So he had been a lead pastor before. 
and he walked into a church that had about 300 people or so and had a staff, a pastoral staff, and had a lot of people engaged and involved in ministry and leaders and those kind of things. And when I came here, I was 38, yes, I had never been a lead pastor before. I had been a children's pastor. I had been an associate pastor, a youth pastor. I had never been a lead pastor before. So I didn't come to you with the same kind of experience that Pastor Holt did, which means that I had a little bit, hopefully, a little bit of a learning curve in there. But also, I came to a church that before I arrived, when I came and guests spoke uh, maybe six months before because Pastor Greg was ill and we needed uh, pulpit filling, I came and spoke. And uh, there was less than 50 people in attendance at the time. And I don't know, when a new pastor comes and people get wind of that, they're like want to check things out and stuff. So when I, when I got here, there was about 70 people or so in attendance. Uh, and I think I passed the test initially because a lot of them stayed around. Uh, but we grew some. And we also were running a deficit. Joe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a year uh, in the red when I, when I came. And so guess what the bulk of my time was focused on when I got here? We need some more people, and we need to do some financing, financing and stuff. And so I spent a lot of my time doing that and making sure to get ministries in alignment and those kind of things. And some of the things I did great, and some of the things maybe I made some mistakes on. Maybe some of the things I thought I did great you thought were mistakes. I don't know. Uh, but I was learning, and, and I hope that you will know that even still today, seven years into this, I'm still learning. Do you ever feel like in life you're still trying to figure it out? Okay, so... I'm still learning, and so sometimes I might do, not do things that make you happy. Uh, sometimes that's intentionally, by the way. Uh, and you, I only got one laugh from Cindy. And actually, the reason why is because sometimes if I don't feel like we're where we're supposed to be as individuals or as a group, I'll come and pester you because my job is to quit, equip you, to try to get you there. Uh, but sometimes I do it fine, and sometimes I don't. And so when you find yourself expecting certain things from a church or from me. Just expect things, that's fine. But what I want you to do is be a little bit patient and understanding that Pastor Danny doesn't have 30 hours in a day. He has 24. And if we're going to get there, other people need to pick up the slack. And sometimes Pastor Danny doesn't know what he's doing. And I just need to give him a little bit of grace. And, and I joke about that, but I actually do know what I'm doing um, sometimes. Uh, but I'm sharing this with you because if Bethel is going to become what it needs to become, then we need to work together. And I, I don't know if you know this, but we went up to, in 2020, the start of 2020, uh, we at some point got to where we were about 15, 20,000 in the black uh, at some point in there. Uh, we've still been in the black ever since then, but we've gone down a little bit in giving this year. And we were up to about 100 people in attendance in 2020. Uh, I know that because we keep track of attendance. And, and so a lot of stuff was happening. And then in March of 2020, a wonderful, joyous occasion took place. And COVID came into the world and shutdowns happened. And, and we went only streaming for a couple of months. And then when we opened back up, it was revival. There were 300 people that showed up the first Sunday we, we had our, no, that wasn't what happened. No. It was 20 people, about 20 people that came. And almost half of that was us, my family, because I have six people in my family. So about half of that was my family. And so we came back. And during that time, I don't know if you noticed that during COVID, some people got edgy. Did you notice that? 
If you're on social media, you had to have noticed some people got really, I mean, everything. You're thinking, we're mad about this now? I don't understand. And so people were really edgy, and there were some conflicts that happened, and some people uh, didn't like me anymore, and so they went somewhere else and, uh, and did whatever. And then some people relocated. We had a family of five that moved to California. Jealous, I bet. A uh, family of seven that went down to Tennessee. And then we had uh, several uh, in single individuals that relocated, one to Oklahoma, one to Florida, and so people, like just a lot of things happened during that time. And so we might not be the 100 people we were in February of 2020, but we're more than 20 now, okay? And there's an ebb and flow to the process of building a church. And if all we can see is the low, then we're, we're not going to stick it out. And if we're going to need to rely on everybody else to get excited before I get passionate to worship, everybody else to start getting excited about evangelism before I get involved in evangelism, then it will never start. Someone has to decide to be the person that says, I'm going to step in even though there's no energy here yet and there's not a lot of people involved. Someone, uh, Friday night, it was myself, Aaron, Mary Lou, uh, I think she forced Izzy to come, I don't know. She volunteered, okay. And Maria, it was the five of us that decorated this church, okay. So I'm... Thankful that they came and helped. Oh, and Daquan, thank you, Daquan. Uh, Daquan, so six of us that, that helped decorate the church. Uh, it took us maybe an hour or so, uh, but we probably could have done it a lot faster if some of you were there, okay? And I'm not saying that to convict more or less than to encourage us to see the big picture, that there's stuff that needs to, to happen and we need to get involved. And some of the stuff that needs to happen can't happen unless there's money. And I know that's the, the dirty word that nobody likes to talk about in church. And, and I don't like to talk about it much either, and I'm going to explain that uh, in a moment. Uh, but we need financial resources in order to achieve the things that we do. And uh, the Bible actually does teach that, and, and that's referenced in your notes there. Particularly Philippians 4 and the beginning part of 1 Corinthians 9 talks about Paul uh, in Philippians 4, being financially supported by the Philippians uh, to do the work of the ministry. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about the idea of it, about ministers being financially supported. You can immediately see why this is awkward for me to talk about, okay? Because I do make my income from pastoring the church, and that income comes from your contributions. But the reason why a church does that is because the things, a lot of, I could still do stuff if I was working another job, but I want you to think for a moment, minute, cutting out 40 hours, okay? There's certainly, I would be restricted quite a bit on the, what I could do, because again, if I worked 40 hours in a secular job, I wouldn't just magically get four, 35 hours in a day for me. It would still be the same amount of time. And so a church, uh, puts apart a person, a pastor, financially so that they can dedicate more than just their volunteer time to achieve that. And the only way that that happens is if people put something in the offering. I don't know if you know this, but we don't have a business on the side. You know, that we don't own the McDonald's down the road on the north side, and we're not making money off of that. The income comes in based on whether or not people financially contribute, and that finance, those finances go the same way as our as our personal finances. It mirrors that. Because I want you to think about this. When, when your income goes down, have you ever had your income go down? Okay. When your income goes down or when your expenses go up, everybody should say your expenses have gone up over the past year or so, right? 
Have you ever just paid attention to how much things are costing and it's going up? And you're like, my pay's not going up. The expenses are going up. This gap is getting more and more narrow. Or maybe I'm starting to move into the red. And so what do we do with that? Now, I know some people are not wise with their financial resources and they just keep going the same way they have been. But those who are a little bit more wise in their finances, what do they do? I'm going to cut back on expenses, maybe pick up a part-time job. Uh, I'm just not doing this anymore. And we, we start whittling it down. And the first thing we make sure that we remove from our expenses is our mortgage, right? I'm not paying that anymore, okay? I, I want to, I, I should be able to go out. I deserve to go out to eat every once in a while, okay? So, so my bank could just hold it for a while, all right? No, that's not what we do. It's like, you know, it's starting to get colder out here, but I'm not going to pay that, that, that gas bill. I mean, that's not fun. Who wants to pay a gas bill? I want to go on my vacation this summer. So I'm not paying. We don't do that, right? Okay? We don't do that as a church either. And the, the, the downside is, is givers usually like to give to certain things. And what givers get excited to give to is some big program in the community that's happening or, or meeting some big benevolent need. And those things are good and they're important. Uh, but what a giver gets excited about, I'm going to start giving more money to that, are the exciting things. What they don't get excited about is, uh, oh, we're going to pay for the gas bill for the church? I don't know about that. Oh, pastor's paycheck? I don't know about that. Oh, we got to pay for the, for the parking lot to get redone? I don't know if you know, but when we had the re- parking lot resealed, that only cost $50 to do. And I can give you his number. It was really cheap. No, it wasn't $50. But we have sometimes have a, we've had a plumbing issue that had to get resolved because of a, a city, I don't know if it's a city or a county requirement. And that loan plumbing job cost uh, at least one Sunday's offering, if not two to three Sunday's offering, to take care of that. But that's when someone says, hey, everybody, give to fix the plumbing. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write my checkbook out right now and just give them all kinds of money. But here's the thing. We can't get to the exciting things unless we supply the not-so-exciting things first. We have to pay the utility bills. We just have to. Thankfully, we don't have a mortgage on the property that had been taken care of in our past. Uh, But we have to take care of the utilities. It's not cheap to heat or cool this room, by the way. Uh, in fact, every time I see what the bills are, I'm like, really? Uh, they're just going to have to t- stick it out and be cold. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it's just like, uh, I mean, water bill. Have you ever thought, how am I using this much water? When you look at your water bill, okay? Uh, it's just, just amazing. how. And, and we have to, we're going to pay those bills. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pay those bills first. We're going to make sure that the church is appropriately staffed uh, and those kind of things. That's what we're going to do first. And... If people are contributing enough, then we will be able to take care of those things. And we have been able to take care of those things. But in order for us to get to the more exciting things, and I know in your personal life, don't you want to go on that trip, right? Don't you want to get an upgrade with your car or at least have a car or whatever? Don't you want to do those things? We want to do not those things, but we want to do the things that are more exciting as a church. But to get there, we have to have people that are contributing financially. Now, why do I do that? And how do I, as an individual, participate in the financing of the church? Well, uh, to get there, we have to understand some dynamics of what it is I'm doing when I'm putting something in the offering or, or giving something online towards the church. Uh, the first thing that I'm doing, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, as I had mentioned. He mentions it in 1 Timothy 5 as well. That uh, Actually, he mentions it in Philippians 4 also. 
that, but especially 1 Corinthians 9, he says, when you, when you are giving to the ministers, uh, you're giving because they offer a service to you, and you're paying for that service. And the weird thing with ministry is, is one, wouldn't you love if, if you went to like Walmart and, and you bought your stuff and you went through the line and they said, hey, if you want to make a donation to pay for that, you can. And then, then you're like, well, I don't know if I have the money for that, so I'm just going to take the groceries with me and go. Wouldn't it be great if Walmart operated that way? Uh, but they don't. That's how the church operates, though. We give the service and we don't require payment. We don't have, we don't have bouncers at the door making sure you pay the bill when you go. But uh, it takes financial resources. Me preaching week in and week out, uh, taking care of leading the Wednesday night, uh, developing our leaders, making sure that there's administrative oversight to the things that happen. Uh, that's me giving a service. And when you contribute, you're, you're giving t- towards that service. And, and I, my hope is that you're getting something out of this. My hope is that, that you are growing in your faith and there are positive things happening in your life because of the contributions, the services that are being made into your life. And you, when you have someone else do that, when a plumber comes and fixes something or an electrician comes and does something or a mechanic, you don't just pay them for parts, right? You pay them for labor also. And so Paul talks about that idea of we contribute. You see why this is awkward? Okay. This is why I only do this once every six years. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I do have to do it from time to time because people have to understand that when you walk in here, it doesn't just happen. Somebody's paying for the bill to make that happen. And I know that some of you ladies, it's a little colder than you'd like for it to be in the winter and stuff, but it's, but it's at least not thir- 20 degrees out when you go out when it's, when it's that way outside. Uh, and so for this building to be the way that it is and take care of and we have use of it and those services are provided, it takes money to take care of that. Now, perhaps you might say, I'm not getting anything out of it, like preaching, whatever, I'm not, I'm not getting anything out of that. Well, then there's still another reason to give. And this is where it gets confusing for some people because they'll notice that in 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul says that it is a right for the minister to receive payment for services. But then he says after that, but I don't make use of this right. And he says that he made an effort to be able to present the gospel to the Corinthians without charge, without asking for any financing. And for me, that's a principle for me as to why I'm always very careful about the way I talk about money, uh, because I don't want it to ever become an obstacle. And first of all, it should never be an obstacle. Every single person that comes into this place should receive the full support of the church and the full effort of the church to disciple them and encourage them in their faith, whether they don't even put a penny in the offering. That's what we should do for the people. Uh, We shouldn't expect payment. However, uh, if somebody is not contributing, then that means somebody else has to contribute for that person to receive the services they're receiving. And what people don't realize when they don't do whole Bible study is, yes, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 that he did not receive income for the ministry to the, the Corinthians. But if we read in passages like Philippians chapter 4, he said that he had received from Philippians enough to be able to go to the, Thessalonican, the church in Thessalonica and do services there. And so what it was was somebody else was paying for the bill. So it wasn't that there weren't resources that needed to be had. It was just this group is paying for the services so that they can be given out to these people. And actually he does the same at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. He tells them 
to, to, to collect the offering so that he could take that and do the work in Jerusalem. And so sometimes when we're giving, we might say, and I hope that that's not the way you feel, but we might say, I'm not getting anything out of it, or I'm not getting much out of it, but maybe I'm contributing for somebody else to get a lot out of it, and, and that should be worth it for us to say, I'm going to make this happen for somebody else. Uh, but lastly, sometimes we're doing it just out of our faithfulness to God. And I know that there's this, I don't know if you know this principle, uh, but there's this principle called tithing. And I know that some people aren't really sure how they feel about it, whether or not it's an Old Testament principle. And, uh, and here's the interesting thing to think about it. Uh, first of all, in the Old Testament, it says you shall not murder. But we're in the New Testament era now, so we can feel free to murder anybody that we'd like to, because that's an Old Testament concept. Uh, the, the Old Testament says you shall not steal, but we're in New Testament era, so if you want to take it, feel free and have fun. That's, that's Old Testament <laughs> principle. Um, no, that's not how we interpret Scripture. There are Old Testament principles that are no longer relevant for us because they got fulfilled. Like, for example, the animal sacrifices were meant for an appeasement offering to God for forgiveness of sins. When Christ came and sacrificed himself, the sacrifices were no longer needed because he gave the ultimate sacrifice and fulfilled that. Uh, some of the food laws and other things are no longer relevant. But we can't just, just pick and choose and say, I like that Old Testament law, so that's in, and I don't like that one, that one's out. We have to actually know why it's out. And if we pay attention the idea of tithing actually starts to make its way into the New Testament. It's not mentioned as often as the Old Testament, but it is mentioned. It's kind of mentioned indirectly. We see that in Matthew 23 when Jesus confronts the Pharisees because they were tithing, but they weren't doing other things. And, it, and in passing, he tells them, you should have been doing tithing and the other thing. And for Jesus to say that means that he was saying you should have been tithing also. But it, there's another thing that we don't notice with the way Jesus teaches. In Matthew chapter 5, if you ever noticed this, Jesus takes the Old Testament requirement and says, that's basic. That's, that's like the minimum. I want you to do more. So he says, yeah, the Old Testament said don't kill him. Okay? All right? Have you ever thought that's all I could do is just keep from killing him? Okay? The Old Testament says don't kill him. And Jesus comes along and says, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good, but I also don't you want to get mad at them? And I don't want you, I want you to love your enemies. Okay? He takes it even further. Oh, that was Maria that said it. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I know, Jesus says, I know it says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says, but that's good. I don't even want you to lust after anybody. Takes it further. And I like that he says, I don't want you to even lust in your heart. Because Jesus wants to move from the Old Testament lowest requirement of the action only and he wants you to take it further and it become all of who you are. That no longer am I just not murdering, but I am embodying a loving disposition to everybody around me. And the same is true with giving. When we move into giving, in fact, if you, if you were to pay attention to Malachi 3 and Philippians 4, as well as, uh, I think, a couple other statements, the ideas that happen with the tithe are the same ideas that happen in the New Testament. It's just not stated as tithe. Okay? So in the tithe in Malachi 3, they were to do it because they were supposed to bring the money into the storehouse, the temple, so that there were provisions for the temple servants. In Philippians 4, we see that people were bringing a contribution so that the ministers can be staffed and, and taken care of. And then we also see in, the, in the Malachi 3, we see that uh, they are going to tithe, and if they tithe, which I don't know if you know what it means, it means 10% of, of my income. Okay? 
and that means 10% of my gross income. The reason why they call it gross income is because when you look at your paycheck, you see the first pay, and you see the net pay, that's gross. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that is about. But you actually, even though the government gets it from you before you get the whole thing, uh, you actually got paid that full gross amount. And so if I got paid gross 100 and I made net 80, guess what I put in the offering if I give a 10%? I give $10 into the offering, not 8 And by the way, we're going to send, uh, send tax agents to your house, and they're going to find out if you've been tithing. We're going to kick you out if you've not been. To, I'm kidding. We don't do that. There's actually a church in our area that requires their members to turn in their W-2 so they can see if it matches up. We don't do that. And by the way, I hope you know this. I don't know who gives money here. You can ask Bonnie. Every once in a while, something like slips up, uh, information, but for the most part, I don't know. If you, if you give, I have no idea. If you don't give, I have no idea. If you give $10 a year, I have no idea. If you give $3,000 a year, I have no idea. Because I don't want to treat you any differently based on how much you do or don't give. Uh, but, but God calls us to not only tithe, but think of what he asked the rich young ruler. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. The Old Testament principle was at least this much. The New Testament was everything. And no, I'm not saying give everything to the church, by the way. But when the movement in Acts started happening, what did the people start doing? They started selling all that they had, and they began to give, put it in the contribution. Uh, G, Paul says that we are to be a cheerful giver, right? That we're to give with all our heart. Jesus teaches about how if someone asks of, of it from you, you are to what? Give it to them. And you're not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so... You can say all you want that the tithing is no longer a thing today. Then that's fine. Then go by the New Testament rule then. Give it all. Right? Uh, because that's, that's, that's what's there. And what we don't realize, and this is lastly, and uh, worship team, if you come prepared to lead us, we're not going to give a typical altar call today, uh, but, but I want them to come prepared to lead us uh, in a song as we go this morning. But... And if, if uh, those that were designated, I think it was Dwayne and, and someone else, uh, Mary Lou, uh, to hand these out, uh, here's what I'm going to do. And do not, if I don't say this before you get it, don't put a name on this, okay? Uh, what we don't realize is that, that it says in Malachi 3, and it says it in other places, that when we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, it says that he will pour out blessings upon us. Now, I, that doesn't mean like the TV preacher who says you're going to be driving around in a Lambo and live in a mansion if you give $100 to the ministry. It's not what that means. He says he will rebuke the devourer for you. Okay? What we don't realize is every bit that we have is subsidized from the Lord. We have nothing that wasn't given to us from God. And we might say, but you don't know. I went to that job and I did all that work, and so I earned that money. Yeah, you earned that money because God gave you the physical capability and the mental capability to do it. He gave you the favor and the opportunity to get the job. And you might have done the effort and stuff, but we would have never earned that income if it wasn't for the Lord stepping in and subsidizing that. And some of that subsidy is dependent upon whether or not we're givers. What does it say? Given it will be given to you, right? And so we don't realize that when we give, it shouldn't be, well, I'm not getting anything out of this, and so I don't need to give. Or, well, I don't care if that guy gets it. I'm not paying for anybody else's bill. It should be, has God been faithful to me? If he has, 
then I need to be faithful to him to do what he asks of me. And so this is what I'm asking. And again, those of you who, and believe it or not, I have a posse of about five people that get after me about once a month saying, you need to preach on tithing more often. You need to preach on tithing more often. Uh, and li- I know Hamilton's one of them. And those of you that are in that boat, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 9 over again. My posture must be that of integrity and humility, and I must be very careful the way I treat financing in the church. And so I'm very laid back for the most part. And part of it is because I trust that if I'm faithful to do what God calls me to do, the provisions will be there. I don't need to become a used car salesman to make it happen, okay? Or your favorite TV preacher to make it happen. But this is what I'm asking you to do before you go today. On this little piece of paper, it says, I am, I am committed to, and, and you're going to make a commitment to, to the church. And I don't want you to leave a name on it because, again, I don't want to know what you're doing with your money, okay? But what I want to know is where is everybody on their commitment to financing the church? And I want this for an encouragement for myself and the leadership team, but I also want this for you in the sense that there's, there's one thing to say, yeah, sure, I'll do that. It's another thing to put it in written form and say this is what I'm going to do. And I've taken it from the least and to the furthest that you can go. Uh, is I commit to, at the top, giving blank amount monthly to the financing of the church. Uh, secondly is I permit, commit to giving a, whatever percentage of my income to the church. And you could just follow it down. I'm going to commit to start tithing. Maybe you haven't. Uh, I'm going to start giving because you haven't been giving. Or I'm, I'm going to commit to continue tithing or to continue giving. Or lastly, I'm going to commit to do whatever I can. Okay? Uh, and I think that if all of us get together... Here's what's going to happen. There were a, a couple years ago or so, we were in the financial position to, to begin to look to hire a, a youth and children's pastor, an associate pastor. And now, uh, because of the way this year has gone, we don't have the resources anymore to do that. When we did have the resources, we couldn't find a person to hire. Now that we don't have the resources, we have a person actually in our midst that we would be willing to hire for that position, but we don't have the resources, Okay. And so every bit that you give, sometimes it's only keeping things stable and it's maintaining the status quo, which is every bit worth it, okay? But sometimes when we contribute, we can make more happen. And again, it's not just money. It's our time. It's our energy. And it's our resources. So what, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. You fill that out and you give it. Dwayne's going to be over here at this door. He won't let you leave until you give it to him. Uh, just kidding. Uh, and, and Mary Lou is going to be over at this door. So if you go ahead and head back there, and she's going to be at this door. And they're going to collect it. And you could do like you do at the free samples at Costco. You know how when you go to Costco and you take a free sample and you know they're expecting you like, I feel guilty, I should buy something. You just take the free sample and you don't make eye contact and you walk away. So you could do the same thing with them if you don't want to turn it in, okay? Uh, but they'll be there to receive it as you, as you go by. Uh, and John and Cindy are standing in the back table. Here's where we contribute our time. John is, is responsible for two things. He's working to try to develop uh, the team of people to help take care of and maintain and, and, and do things on the property, on the facilities. And so if you're willing to contribute some time, even if it's just one time a year, then I encourage you to go see him and let him know, hey, I'm willing to be a part of helping out with that. Uh, also, he's, he's trying, even though it's funny, he's not even on social media, but he's responsible for social media. Um, we're going to get him on there eventually, by the way. Uh, but social media is actually, did you know that most people, when they decide to go to church now, 
they decide to come based on checking out the service through social media first before they come. And if they don't see social media available, a lot of people won't go to that church because uh, they can't check it out. And so there's reasons to have it. I know a lot of people hate it, but there's reasons to have it, and he's working to develop that. And so if you're on social media and you'd like to help develop that, see him uh, before you go. Or we're trying to do a one-to-one -one network scenario. I think I mentioned it last week, where we're trying to work to create a network of people within our church that are responsible for calling people. Uh, some of them are shut-ins. Some of them are just people in general uh, to provide care, to check and see how people are doing, to pray for people. And we're looking for people to help disciple and develop people. And Sydney's in, Cindy, there she is, is in charge of, of putting that together. Uh, and so if you're willing to participate in that, see her. But will you stand with me? So as I said, I'm going to pray. The worship team will lead us. Uh, but we're dismissed, dismissed once I finish praying. Uh, and so you don't have to wait for them to be done. Uh, but if you want to hang out for a moment or two and sing with them, that's wonderful. But God is faithful to us, right? He takes care of all of our needs. In fact, that in Philippians 4, it says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And you know who he said it to? He said it to the givers. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be what you've called us to be. It is so difficult for us, especially when we have so little, to ever release any bit of the resources we have because we know how much we need it. But I ask, Lord, that you would help us to not live in fear, but to live in faith and to trust you that if you said that if we live a certain way, that you will take care of our needs. And I ask that, that everybody in this room, that you would help them to be patient with me as a leader and with me as one who preached about financing today, uh, that you would just help them to understand and be gracious uh, to the needs that are before us. Help us, Lord, with our money, with our time, our talents, and our energy, and our relationships to do all we can to build this church. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you. See you next week.